I want you to think back to September 1, 1939. Okay, on 9-1-39, Nazi Germany invaded Poland. Denmark and Norway were invaded several months later. Belgium, Holland, and Luxembourg were next on the list. That summer, France fell. By the end of 1940, nearly all of Europe was under the murderous and tyrannical rule of Adolf Hitler. And so it was for several years until June 6, 1944. D-Day. Okay, on D-Day, Allied forces stormed the beaches of Normandy and they established a foothold in France. D-Day marked the beginning of the end of Nazi rule. On that day, a decisive blow was dealt to the enemy. On that day, the war was all but won. But victory in Europe Day, VE Day, would come later, May 7th, 1949-1945. But the fate of the war was determined on that, due, uh, on that day in June. Well, spiritually speaking, that is what happened some 2,000 years ago when Jesus died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins and then three days later walked out of a tomb. Easter Sunday was a D-Day of sorts. See, on that day, sin, Satan, and death lost their grip on mankind. Our enemies were dealt a death blow from which they will never recover. God stormed the beaches, as it were. He reestablished a kingdom foothold here on planet Earth. His kingdom, which started off small, is growing, and pockets of resistance are springing up left and right. His kingdom is both now and it's not yet. It is here, but it's not here in its fullness. Right? Think back to that D-Day analogy. D-Day was a decisive victory, but it didn't end the war. Right? It guaranteed its end. From there on out, the enemies would be fighting a losing war. And the devil is fighting a losing war right even now. The E-Day is coming. We're just not there yet. We are living in this in-between time, between D-Day and V-E-Day. And in the meantime, there's lots of work to be done. There are battles to be fought. There are sides to this fight. And Jesus is calling you to his. This brings us to today's story. Okay, this was a lengthy introduction, but I wanted to recap, sort of bring us up to speed, Okay. We are looking at this line. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father. Today's story really flushes that out. Okay? Next week we'll look at the following line. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. In other words, he's going to finish what he started. The day is coming. But tonight let's focus on what the ascension of Jesus means for him and also what it means for us. And to do that, we're going to look at Acts 1. Uh, verses 1 to 11. Okay. It's printed there on your sheet. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which, he said, 
you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Let's pray. Father, thanks for this, this time that we get to be together. Thank you for giving us your word. We ask for your spirit now to help us to understand what we have before us. Help us to hear these words, to, to see uh, Jesus and all of his goodness and, 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 and grace. And help our hearts to just receive and to believe uh, your gospel, your good news, your salvation. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, tonight's focus really is on what does the ascension mean, and what does it mean for us? Okay, Acts 1 through 11 uh, is the report of Jesus' ascension, his departure from earth. Forty days after Easter Sunday, Jesus was on a mountaintop with his disciples. And his final words and instructions to them were, wait in Jerusalem until you receive the Holy Spirit. Okay, and after saying these things, he was lifted up into the air and he disappeared behind a cloud. This story told in Acts raises a couple of questions, doesn't it? First of all, why does Jesus leave? Like, did he have to? Like, why does he go? Secondly, why does he leave in this strange way? Why does Jesus leave? Why does he leave in this way? Well, first, why does he leave? The first reason that Jesus leaves is simply because he finished the job that he was assigned to do. Jesus' mission on earth was to reconcile sinners to a good and just God. You see, our sins make a separation between us and God. When you say something hurtful to a friend, it drives a wedge between you and him and her. Sin against them repeatedly, and that wedge gets driven deeper and deeper and deeper, and that separation becomes wider and wider and wider. When we sin, this is what we are doing. We are driving a wedge between us and God deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper, and Jesus' mission was to bridge that gap, to get rid of that separation, right? to do everything necessary for us to be reconciled with God, to make peace between God and man. Well, the details of that mission involve living a perfect life so that we who put our faith and trust in him can have a perfect record before God and also to pay the, down the, the debt that our sins have incurred, right? to take the sin's punishment uh, in our place. And this Jesus did. 
Right? He did it perfectly. 100%. And this is the reason why when we put our faith and trust in him, our sin separation is gone. Our guilt and shame is gone. This is why there is therefore no more condemnation for all who are in Christ Jesus. The reason that is so is because Jesus did his job. And this is reason one why he leaves planet Earth. Right? Having completed the work that was set before him, it was time to go home. Last spring break, uh, a bunch of us went to Raynell, West Virginia to help rebuild a house that had been destroyed by some historic flooding in this West Virginia Valley town. Our job was to prime uh, and paint some walls and to put in some hardwood floors. And we did our job. And after completing our job, we went home. We didn't stick around in Raynell. We came back. And in very much the same way, Jesus completed his job. And it was time to go home. Back at home, Jesus sits on his throne next to his father. This doesn't mean that he's done working. It's not a lazy boy, right? Lots of people work from their seats. Judges work sitting down. Kings work sitting down. Now, granted, there are times in a king's life when he might need to rise from his throne and put on some armor and step out onto a battlefield and fight. And that's what Jesus did. He left his throne, he took on human flesh, and he fought on battlefield earth. But having secured our victory, having vanquished our foes, enemies that we could never defeat ourselves, it was time to go home to resume his place back on his throne. And that's reason number one, Jesus ascends back to heaven. The second reason is that he wanted to get his house ready for our arrival. In John chapter 14, Jesus says that he is going back to his father's house so he can get it ready for us. He says, and I quote, "...in my father's house are many rooms." If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, and I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. The second reason Jesus goes home is because he's putting up the balloons and the banners, as it were. He's getting it ready for your arrival. Third, and maybe final reason that Jesus goes back home is that he, so that he can send us his spirit. Same chapter, John 14, Jesus says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and he will be in you. To tell you the truth, Jesus says, it is to your advantage that I go away. He says that two chapters later. It's to your advantage that I go. And you're thinking, how can that possibly be? Like, how is it better for you to leave than to actually be here with us, right before us? 
Well, consider this. In Jesus, God was with us in a very concrete and tangible way. You could see him. You could hold on to him. You could talk to him. It was awesome. But he could only be in one place at one time. By going home and sending us his spirit, Jesus actually remains here with us. Right? He is here in spirit. The difference is he's not in just one place at one time. He's not limited to one time zone. Spiritually, he could be with each and every single one of us all around the globe, all at the same time. It's kind of like being on a giant worldwide conference call, but only better. Like, way, way, way better than that. But kind of like it, just better, right? (laughs) You know, believe it or not, God is actually far more accessible to us now than he was back then. I know that's hard to believe, but it's true. Because back then, God was someone out there, a person you could just, you could touch and you could talk to. But now, God is still out there, right? He's still someone out there in heaven, but he also lives in here. And this is a new reality. Now, God actually lives within us. He can actually take residence in your heart. See, Christians call God Father... Because they have the spirit of God's son living within them. The reason you address God as daddy is because the spirit of Jesus, God's only son, lives in you. And so you call him daddy too. And that has never happened before. It's only happened post-Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. These are some of the reasons why Jesus leaves heaven for earth. Okay, he finished his mission. He wants to get the house ready for you to throw up the streamers, blow up the balloons. And he wants to send us a spirit who will actually take that work of Jesus and directly apply it to your hearts. So that Jesus is not just the one who is reconciling God to the world, but he's actually reconciling God to you. He makes it personal. Okay? Now, if that's why Jesus leaves, why does he leave this way? Like his leaving the ground, his floating in the sky, his disappearing from our sight behind a cloud is a little bit strange. Frankly, it's a little hard to believe. You've not seen this before. I've not seen this before, right? It's hard to believe. So why leave this way? Why make this hard for us, right? Why make this confusing? Well, I want you to think about this for a minute. After Jesus was raised from the dead, he he visited his disciples over the span of 40 days. For 40 days, he was coming and he was going. He would show up. He would cook his disciples breakfast. He would eat with them. He would talk to them about the kingdom of God. And then he would go again, right? He would disappear. Forty days of this, reappearing and disappearing, disappearing and reappearing. But now, after 40 days of that, he intends to go home and to stay there for a little while. His disciples aren't going to see him for quite some time. How is he going to communicate that? 
How is he going to get that fact across? If Jesus simply walks out of town like a normal human being would, the disciples would be led to believe, oh, he's going to come back on Tuesday. (laughs) You can imagine a conversation amongst them going something like this, you know, where's Jesus? The other responds, well, I saw him cross the bridge into Winooski. We'll probably see him soon. (laughs) But that's exactly what Jesus doesn't want to communicate, (laughs) right? His message to them is, you're not going to see me for a while, right? I'm going to be physically present. I'm not going to be physically present with you like I have been these past 40 days. Nevertheless, I will be with you in a new and powerful way. I will be with you in spirit, but it's going to be different, right? Because that's what Jesus wants to communicate, simply disappearing or simply leaving town, it's not going to work. If Jesus wants to communicate to you and to me that he's going to return to heaven, how is he going to do that? Which direction is he supposed to go? I was talking to Steve about this this afternoon. And to quote Steve... There's a level of showmanship that's needed here. You're right. Well said, Steve. (laughs) As I just explained, he can't travel left or right. Jesus cannot go north, south, east, or west. He can't just leave town. And he can't go down. If Jesus, like, descends like this, (laughs) you think he's going to hell. You do not think he's going to heaven. All right? That pretty much leaves just one other option. All right? If you can't go north, south, east, west, can't go left, can't go right, can't go down, what are you left with? Right? He can only go up. He's got to go up. Now, of course, heaven is not someplace out there in outer space. And yet still in popular imagination, right, heaven is up there. And Jesus gets this. He's accommodating. There's a level of showmanship here. If rising into the sky is going to communicate to us that heaven is where he is going and heaven is up there, sure, I'll do that. I'll float into the sky and I'll disappear up there instead. Okay? So be it. Right? Jesus is not going on some amazing space odyssey. He is not the first human astronaut. The last time I checked, Russian Yuri... Gagarian still is, right? But Jesus is floating up into the sky to communicate, look, I'm going to heaven. You are not going to see me for a while. And he vanishes behind a cloud, okay? He's going home. So what does this all mean for us? What difference does Jesus' ascension make, right, for you and for me? I think we all kind of get the gist of what happened, right? We understand what happened on that day some 2,000 years ago. But what relevance does it have for you and for me in 2017? It's actually a question that's at the forefront of the disciples' minds. Like, all right, you're going. What does this mean for us? Look at your text, okay? The disciples ask in verse 6, Lord, does this mean you are going to restore the kingdom of Israel at this time? Is, that, is, is this what all that means? Right? In other words, like, 
does this mean that you're actually going to kick the Romans out of our city now? Does this mean we don't have to pay taxes anymore to Caesar? Does this mean that you're going to make Israel like that great kingdom from way back when? Is that going to happen like now? Are you going to give us political power now? Like that's what the question sort of insinuates. Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? Well, old-time theologian John Calvin writes, there are as many errors in this question as there are words. The disciples still don't fully get. They don't fully understand. Like, will you restore the kingdom of Israel, they ask. And this very question reveals that the disciples are still thinking about God's kingdom as an earthly one. They're still thinking that God's kingdom is a nation or nation-state. They're still thinking about nation-building. Still thinking about, let's make Israel great again. Let's get back to those good old days when King David was on the throne, right? The 12 tribes of Israel. They're still thinking about God as this exclusive something belonging to a very specific people group, chiefly the Jews, right? And Jesus is about to blow their paradigm to smithereens. He's going to broaden their horizons. And he's going to cross some lines. Because the kingdom of God is not the nation of Israel. And it's not the state of Palestine. And it's not the United States of America. The kingdom of God is a cross-cultural multinational and multi-ethnic kingdom that it is spread out all across the world. The kingdom of God is not some place that you can pinpoint on a map. The kingdom of God is not a territory. It doesn't have borders. And it's not limited to any particular race, ethnicity, or people group. The kingdom of God is a universal kingdom that includes people from every tribe and tongue and nation and race. And what's more, the kingdom of God is not immediate. That is to say, it's not all here all at once. Now that said, it is here. It's in our midst, right? It's in our midst even now. Like right this very moment. God is at work reigning and ruling in the lives of men and, and women in this very room at this very moment. God is king over some of your lives. But the kingdom of God is not here in its fullness. Right? It's not all here yet. Christ has come, and Christ will come again. And when he does, he will finish what he started, and he's going to wrap everything up. But until that time, until that day, the kingdom of God will be a now but not yet reality. Until that time, until that day, we are living between D-Day and V-E-Day. Does that make sense? This brings me to our final question for tonight. What are we supposed to be doing in this in-between time? What does it mean for us to be Christians, right? Christ followers between D-Day and V-E-Day.
right, between Easter Sunday and when Christ comes again to make all things new. Like, what does it mean for us to live in the in-between time? Let me tell you what we're not supposed to do before I tell you what we're supposed to do. Both Jesus and the two angels that show up say that we're not supposed to stare into the sky and try to calculate when exactly Jesus is going to come back. Verse 7. The exact date of my return is not for you to know. In verse 11, men of Galilee, why are you still staring up at the sky? Don't look up, look out. Look around you. Jesus wants you to move out into the world as Christ's witnesses. In Jerusalem, and then Judea, and then Samaria, and to the very ends of the earth. Remember when I talked about the resurrection, I talked about a stone sending sort of shockwaves, sort of ripples out through the world? Well, Jesus is the stone. And us going out into the world are the ripples. We are the shockwave. It starts in Jerusalem, and then Judea, and then Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. Ripples. Shockwaves. Us. Verse 8, Jesus says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus gives us power for this task at hand, but it's not political power. He gives us something way better. He doesn't give us political power. He gives us Holy Spirit power. He gives us this power so that we can be his witnesses. So that we can be his witnesses. What does that mean to be a witness? Well, to be a witness means to show and tell. To be a witness means to show and tell the world, who Jesus is, and what his kingdom is like. With the words you use and the actions you embody, show me who Jesus is. Give me a glimpse of who he is. Give me a foretaste of what is to come. I'm asking that of you, actually. Give me a glimpse. Show me, just even in part, who Jesus is and what heaven is going to be like. I'm not asking for it to be perfect and I'm not asking for the whole thing because I know that Jesus is going to come and he's going to do that. But can you give me a glimpse? Can you in some ways point the way? Here are some ways how. You show me who Jesus is And you show me what the future is like when you forgive somebody who has hurt you. You are witnessing Jesus to me in that moment. You are doing show and tell when you make sacrifices to make something or someone better. You are doing show and tell when you feed the hungry and house the homeless. 
You are doing show and tell when you plant gardens where there were none, and you bring life where there was none. You are doing show and tell when you move towards hurting sick people and you heal them. You are doing show and tell when you move into a rough neighborhood and you beautify it, not displacing its people, but giving them a nice place to live. You are doing show and tell when you put an end to violence and you lay the foundations for peace. You are doing show and tell when you fight for justice without demonizing your opponents. You are doing show and tell when you protect the weak and you care for the defenseless, whether that is defenseless human life or animal life or plant life. You're doing show and tell. You're doing show and tell when you care for the things that God has made. On this campus, you are witnesses. You are doing show and tell. When you tutor a friend or peer, sacrificing your time and energy so that they will get a better grade, even if you might not have a better grade because of it. Even if it might lower yours. You're doing show and tell when you notice the unnoticeables. When you move towards strangers and you initiate friendship with them. You're doing show and tell when you hang out with a friend who is lonely instead of going out to that huge party that everybody else is going to. You're doing show and tell when you invite a friend to a large group or to a Bible study. When you share the good news with them about Jesus, you tell them that God loves them. And you let them know that a renewed, reconciled relationship with God is available to to them this very day. Look, you are doing show and tell. You are being Christ's witnesses in any one of those things. And so much more. Can you do that? Can you be that in this in-between time? Jesus gives you his spirit so that you can. Jesus gives you his spirit so that you can be his witnesses from here on out. From here on out, from this moment on and for the rest of your life. From here on out, from the edge of this campus to the edge of this world. Jesus is in heaven, but he gives you his spirit so that you can give a glimpse of heaven here on earth. Jesus is in heaven, but he gives you his spirit so that you can give us a glimpse of what heaven is like here on earth. That is what this is all about. This is what the ascension means for him, for you, for us. Let's pray.